Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. We got a bunch of ground to cover and a little time to cover it. So I hope you're ready to go. Real quickly, I need to give you an update. When I left here last Sunday, as soon as I got to the back, somebody wanted to know what happened to the cat. And then I went to a deacon's meeting last Sunday afternoon. And the first time one of the deacons got really serious, got this real serious look on his face. His pastor need to talk with you. And I thought, oh, my stars. I said, what is it? He said, tell me what happened to the cat. Monday night, I had a meeting. And you know what? Somebody wanted to know. They want to know what happened to the cat. Thursday, uh, the lady that plays the, the um, organ in her first ser- ser- uh, service, uh, she and I met at a friend of hers that's in her Sunday school class that uh, had just been diagnosed with cancer. And you know what she wanted to know? She hadn't even been to service. You know what she wanted to know? She wanted to know what happened to the cat. And so I just need to tell you, I ain't seen the cat. I've been at home a week. He hadn't made it yet. We got somebody looking for him. So anyway, just want to give you an update on the cat. But you know, the thing that bothers me about the whole deal is I gave everybody a homework assignment when you left last week. Nobody asked about homework. Imagine that, huh? And so, you know, I always wanted to be a prof. This is the time where I say, take your homework and pass it to the center aisle. But I didn't give you homework to write down. I gave you homework to do. And I'm curious, did you have an opportunity this week to serve anybody in the church? Uh, did you have any, any opportunity this week uh, to share uh, with anybody? Or did you have an opportunity to serve anybody outside the church? So uh, it's kind of interesting how God works. You know, I had some chances this week uh, in a couple of arenas. Let me just tell you about one of them. Uh, it's just funny. You know, God's got a, he's got a sense of humor. Friday, I'm coming back from the hospital in San Antonio. And uh, I'd uh, just stopped and put a battery in my wife's car. We're going to drive it on vacation. And, you know, and you know how it is. You boosted it off a couple of times. And you just know that if I don't get to the store. So we get a battery in. So I'm driving up Ranch Road 12 there. And... Uh, here comes a car and there's a truck behind the truck kind of swerves out kind of over in my lane. And I see this hubcap come flying off the car. And I looked over. Sure enough, there was a young girl there. She was probably about 22. And, and her front tire had blown out or went flat. And she makes over to the curb. And I kind of looked in the mirror and I thought, well, that old boy's not going to stop. And I'm thinking, you know, I need to go service girl. And so I kind of crossed out and said, I got it. So I turned around to go back. And sure enough, nobody had stopped to help her. And she's on the phone. And I go up and ask her if I could help change her tire. And, of course, she was grateful. And she just graduated from Dallas Baptist University. She's moved home looking for a job. And so we had a conversation. And I proceeded to help her change her tire. And, of course, you know, it's Friday mid-morning, so it's hot. And uh, so we find us, uh, we block the car so it doesn't roll away. And we crank, the, I loosen the lug nuts and we jack it up and, you know, and I start spooling the lug nuts off. You know, I'm being a good Samaritan. You know how you're, you know, you're feeling pretty good about, you know, you just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. And so we get the first four lug nuts off and then I start spinning on the last one and it ain't coming off. I don't know if I told you it was hot, but it was getting hot. And so I'm, you know, so I crank on this line. I'm thinking this thing ain't coming off. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I done got the other four off. And so I said, well, I'm going to turn it. And so sure enough, man, I get, I crank on that uh, tire iron and I ring the lug nut, the bolt just rings off. And so I'm thinking, I got four, I can put her wheel back on and she can go home with four. And I thought, man, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that. And so I put the tire on. I said, 
uh, to her, I said, I, I really think we just need to go. You need to go straight to a tire place. You know, I'd drive it around forever like that, but I didn't, you know, didn't want her to do that. I said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow you to the tire store. You call your mom and her mom. She said, well, I've already called mom. We're going to this discount tire or whatever. So I said, well, I'm just going to follow you. And I, I don't know if I told you, but it was getting hot by about this time. And so she gets in her car and gets ready. She turns the key over to crank up her car and go, and wouldn't you know. <laughs> and so, thank goodness I had booster cables because I had just come from the place to, you know, to get a new battery. And so we boost her car off and, and uh, you know, we work on it a little bit and it's pretty hot, as I told you. And so we get on and I get her to her place. And I'm just thinking, you know, all this time, you know, God just... You know, if we, if we want to serve him, there's a place. There's people that need a word of encouragement. There's people that need a deed of service. And, you know, you and I, if we'll look around this week, I don't know if you did your homework last week. I'm not, even, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands. But we need to look at opportunities to serve because God wants us to serve. God wants us to represent him. And it'll be hot. But you'll have an opportunity to show, you know, not so much, not always share the love of Jesus, but just show the love of Jesus. Well, this morning we want to talk about, you know, the Lord Jesus didn't, as I shared last week, man, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice for many. Now, honestly, we don't really, uh, we don't know what it means to sacrifice pretty much in America. I mean, we... Uh, we really don't, don't. I mean, I had, I was in a meeting the other night and the lady said, you know, some people don't, don't like the word sacrifice. I don't really like it either. But Jesus came as a sacrifice. He gave up everything for us. Seemed like the least we could do is give up a little something and serve him. It's what he expects of us. It's what he demands of us. And if he's Lord, we're just saying that he's King Jesus. If he's King Jesus, then we need to do what he says. And we need to do what he modeled for us to do. And so I want to encourage you. Now, I'm going to kind of transition, but I'm going to come back to the servant thing for just a second. But in Hebrews 9, I want to read about the Lord Jesus because this we're reading about the Old Testament tabernacle, but it's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. So why don't you join me there? Hebrews 9, I, we probably won't get this far, but I'm going to read all the way to verse 14. Okay, so just stay with me. Verse 1, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Now behind the second curtain or the second veil was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Now, above the Ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Now, the author of Hebrews is going to come back to that because he didn't have time right then to discuss it. And I'm just going to tell you, we probably don't have to. I've already been through this one time. We probably don't have time to get to all of it, but we're going to get as much as we can. But let's read on. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood. 
Now imagine that. Nothing but the blood. Why? Because without blood, there's no forgiveness. So he entered never without blood, which he offered for himself. The high priest offered a sacrifice for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Now look at this. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place, by the way, that's the presence of God, which we'll say more about in a minute. Um, but the, by showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration or a symbol for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Now, notice this. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings External regulations applying until the time of the new order. Now, let me just, let me just say this right here. Uh, what, what the Holy Spirit was saying then is that the old covenant, the sacrificial system, wasn't really able to cleanse people's conscience, nor was it able to forgive their sin. It was external. Uh, it was ceremonial. It postponed their guilt for another year. But it was never able to bring pardon and forgiveness. But look what happens. Verse 11 says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things to come or that are already here, he went, look at this, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, that is the presence of God, uh, the, to the mercy seat, once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will it cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that, look at this, So that we, you and me, may what? Serve the living God. Shall we pray together? Father, I pray that you'd take this text and you'd open it up. I know it's theological. I know it's uh, deep stuff. And I know there's a lot in it. And yet, God, I want to ask you to open the eyes of our heart that we might see Jesus in the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle is a picture of heaven, but it's a picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I know, I know God in the, in the auditorium this morning, there's some men and women, perhaps some young people, boys and girls, who have never given their life to Jesus Christ. And God, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. They can be a good boy or a good girl. They can be nice and do everything they can do. But without the shedding of blood, without the blood of Jesus Christ, There'll be no forgiveness. My prayers, my hope is that today they'd open and surrender their heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So you come meet with us. God, have your will and your way in every person's heart. And we'll give the glory and the honor to King Jesus because he alone is worthy. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. All righty. Well, we're going to move quickly. Let me just say this. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are two chapters in the scriptures that deal with the creation account. 
that specifically deal with the creation account of the whole universe and of the whole earth. But there are some 50 chapters that deal with the tabernacle and the temple in the meeting place with God. Now, the reason I believe that's true is because the, the, this tent, this tabernacle, it is a picture. It is a man-made picture given the instructions by God that is a picture of heaven, but it's a picture of the person and work of Jesus. Now, uh, over the years, when you and I were growing up and we were learning about the tabernacle and we heard about all this stuff, you know, we it was hard for us to really get a picture of when, why is all this important. Man, that's Old Testament stuff. And, man, it's the law and it's the... Why does that matter to us? Listen, listen. When we look at this scripture, this revelation of the Old Testament tabernacle, we can see a picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And so before we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, I want you to get a, a picture, a more clear picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And so let's talk about it. Now, we're t- there was the Old Testament temple. There was Solomon's temple. There was Herod's temple. There's going to be a temple built again one day uh, over in Jerusalem. And, and we'll, but, but this particular case, this was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that was designed by God, revealed to Moses on the mountain and built by the Israelites. And they took this tent and they moved it with them everywhere they went and they would set it up and God would come to this place and this is where God would meet with them. And so I had a picture. I thought I had a picture. I was going to be able to show you kind of some things about this. I don't have that. It didn't work. So I probably don't have time to deal with that anyway. Let me just explain very quickly uh, some things about this sanctuary or this tabernacle. First of all, it was a, it had a courtyard called the outer court or the courtyard was 150 foot by 75 foot. Now, if you imagine that's about, you know, if you look from the goal line to the 50 yard line, that's how long it was. It's 150 foot long. That's about 75 foot wide, which means it's about almost half as wide as a football field. Now, any Jew, any Jew of the 12 tribes of uh, Israel, any Jewish man could take his sacrifice and he could go into this outer court. And he could take his sacrifice into this outer court and then they would offer this sacrifice to God uh, to, uh, for the forgiveness of his sins uh, for a year. Now, but interestingly enough, this courtyard had one gate on the east side, 30 foot wide, about seven and a half feet tall. And the only way to get in to the courtyard was through the gate. The eastern gate. He couldn't climb over the western gate. He couldn't sneak under the southern gate. He couldn't materialize through the northern gate. The only way. He could bring his sacrifice. He could offer a sacrifice to God to postpone his sins for a year. He could bring it in there. But the only way in was through the eastern gate. And the and that's a perfect picture of Jesus. Because the Bible says that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Save Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, a lot of, you've probably heard this. People have said to you or people have said to me or they've said about us. They said, you know, those narrow-minded Christians, they think that Jesus is the only way. Friend, I want to tell you, he is the only way. Not because I'm a narrow-minded Baptist. God said there was one way into the tabernacle. God said there's one way into heaven. Uh, the Bible's in, in uh, Acts chapter 4 it says there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. 
Not, there's not another one. And so when you get to the courtyard, when you see the gate, you see a picture of Jesus because he is the one way into the presence of God. By the way, this, this whole tabernacle thing, it was, it was, that's where God met with him at. We'll get to that in a minute. The only way to get in there was through the gate. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. People come in all these other ways, but I'm the only way to get in. Friend, if you want to get to God, you got to go through Jesus. He's the only way. Well, let's go on inside. When you get inside that, that outer courtyard, that half a football field, first thing you come to, the first utensil you come to is a bronze or a brazen altar. It's about seven and a half foot square. It's got horns on every corner. It's got a place underneath it where they would put the coals and then they would put the sacrifice on top. They would tie the animals there on the corner, on the horns of this altar. They would slaughter them. They would shed their blood. They would put the sacrifice on the altar and they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it for the forgiveness of sins. And what a picture of Jesus. Jesus came as a sacrifice. I, we looked at that verse last week where it said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died a sacrifice for you and for me. He shed precious, righteous blood. He offered himself. He was broken, bruised, Wounded and beaten, a sacrifice for our sins. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says His blood covers your sin. And so we see that, uh, that, that brazen altar is a picture of the Lord Jesus. Well, let's move on. Once you pass the brazen altar, you'll come to a, a bronze laver or a bronze basin. And what would happen is the priests would be ministering and they would be serving and they would be slaughtering and they would be killing these animals and they'd be offering these sacrifices. And so obviously that was not a, that was a messy thing. And so they had this bronze laver or basin. And so often they would go by and they would have to wash, they would have to cleanse themselves. They'd have to wash. And to be clean. What a picture of Jesus. Did you know the Bible says even for the believer. Now the, hyper, the priests there kind of represent. I mean they were God's chosen. Well, As a believer in Christ. I don't know how it works for you. But for me man sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I sin. And when we mess up and when we sin. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, did you know the Bible says in 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. will cleanse us or forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so once you give your life to Christ, man, he, he cleanses you over and over and over and over. And that labor, that brazen or that bronze basin there is a symbol or a picture of Jesus. That once, once you're born again, once you accept his sacrifice for you, no matter what happens, you can come to him and he will wash you and he will cleanse you and he will make you new and whole and fresh again. Now all that happens in the outer court. Any Jew can go in there. Even the Lord Jesus could go in there. But you know something? The holy place had a veil over it. The holy place, that's the place that's 15 by 45. Only the priests could go into the holy place. If we notice there in our text, I think it's about um, 
Verse 2 says, the tabernacle was set up in its first room. The first room, that's the holy place. There was a, there was a veil that kept everybody but the priests out of there. Now, there were, Israel had 12 tribes. 11 of them could go to the outer court, but only the descendants of the Levites or the descendants of Aaron could go into the holy place and minister. There was a veil that kept regular people out. Did you know, did you know that even Jesus, when he walked on earth, couldn't go into the holy place? He wasn't a, he wasn't a Levite. So he could, he, I mean, he made the rules. He set it up. And yet when he was here, he couldn't go in the holy place or surely he couldn't go into the most holy place. And yet the priests would go in. And so only the priests, they would go in and represent the people. And look what I, when you go behind the first veil into this 45 by 15 foot holy place, first thing you see is a golden lampstand. had seven frogs on it. had some containers. They were filled with oil. They had a wick. And they would light these containers. And you know, this thing would be dark because it was covered. I mean, it was, it was a tent. It was solid, no windows. And so when you went inside, they lit this candelabra because they needed to light their way to do the ministry. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world that candelabra is a picture of jesus because when you're without christ or when i was without christ we were living in darkness and jesus brought us into the light bible says we were blind but now we see jesus is the light of the world. He's brought light to us. And, and, uh, the Bible says in, I think it's in first John, or excuse me, in John 1 4, it says, in him was life, and that life is the light of men. What a picture of Jesus, that he is the light. He is the one that shows us the way unto God. There's no other way. He's the light of the world. I was talking in the first service, you know, uh, the, the reason Jesus, light, he, as the light of the world, one of the things he does is he gives us direction in our life. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate this, but, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 119 that, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I always wondered why God spoke that way. You know, if you and I have a flashlight, we just turn it on and we got this real beam and it kind of shoots out there, right? You know, flat, you know, unless it's an odd one, it, it'll kind of shoot out. They didn't have any flashlights. If you light a candle, it doesn't shoot out anywhere. You know what they would do? They would, they would take these little lamps, what they'd call them, and they would attach them to their feet and they would light the candle. And that way when they walked, that candle would light their path. Because if they held it up here, they couldn't see. And so that picture is that Jesus wants to light your way and show you and show me what it is that he wants us to do and where it is that he wants us to go. Jesus is the light of the world. But when we get past the candelabra, there's another utensil inside the holy place. Now, they would come in day and night, you know, over and over and over, and they would keep the lamp lit. And then there was the table of the consecrated bread or the show bread, and they had 12 loaves of bread on this table all the time. And every Sabbath, the priest would come in, and they would change out the 12 loaves, and then the priest could eat the bread, but nobody else could eat the bread. You remember how worked up they got? Remember over in Samuel when David was running from Saul for his life? Him and his men, he went into the temple. Remember what he did? He took the showbread. 
the consecrated bread. And they got all worked up. Now God graciously allowed him to eat it. But an average guy couldn't eat the bread. It symbolized God's presence. And listen, the average person couldn't get into the presence of God. Only the priest could go in to this place. And they really weren't in the presence of God, which we'll see in a minute. And so, so, so this table of showbread, it, it's representative of the fact that God, it, it's representative of God's presence. And they couldn't really get into God's presence. But listen, the Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. That means he's the way into the presence of God. You and I, because of Jesus, can enter in to the presence of God. Let's go on and look at that. Because see, here's what happens in the holy place. Now, uh, time won't really allow me to explain this in great detail. But the author of Hebrews here puts the, um, he puts the altar of incense inside the most holy place. But in the Old Testament tabernacle, the altar of incense was outside the most holy place. Do you know why? Because only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. You know what they would do with the altar of incense? They would put coals on this altar and then they would take incense and they would sprinkle it on the altar. And the hot coals would create this, this aroma. And it would fill up this holy place, this 45-foot by 15-foot building. It would just fill it up with aroma. And what they were hoping is that all those days where the priest couldn't go in and make an offering, that this fragrance would, would drift under the veil and it would fill the nostrils of a holy God and it would be pleasing unto him. And so this altar of incense in the Old Testament was outside. But, but here he puts it inside. Do you know why? Because the altar, that, that incense represents the prayers of the people. And it represents the prayers of the saints. We talked about that in Revelation a few weeks ago. But the reason it's on the inside of the veil is because Jesus, listen, the Bible says that Jesus, when he had made purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Did you know, did you know that at this very moment, Jesus Christ in heaven is interceding for you? And for me, he is praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, seeing he ever lives to make intercession. And so the author of Hebrews put it inside because that's what Jesus could do. But we need to talk about how to get in there because here was the thing. This 15-foot cube, this most holy place, had the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was, um, there was the golden jar of manna. There was the Aaron's rod, our staff, his budding staff. And then there was the copy of the law, the tablets. And just quickly, we don't have time to go over this, but the golden jar of manna represents the bread because God wants to provide for our physical needs. The Aaron's budding staff, you can read about that in Numbers chapter 7, end of 16 and 17, 1 through 10. God's concerned about your spiritual needs. He put the law in there because God's concerned about our morality, our moral needs that we would do right and not do wrong. And so you put all that stuff in there. But but here's the thing. That ark was sitting inside the holy place, but nobody could get in. There was a veil. And it kept everybody out except the high priest on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. 
which was the one day of year that the high priest could, could sacrifice and he could go in this place. But when, when he went in, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was this gold plate and it had two cherubim, two angels that were carved or shaped or fashioned. And they looked down over this, they called it the mercy seat. And the high priest would go in there one day a year and he would make atonement for the sins of man. And he would sprinkle blood on that mercy seat and God would meet them. He would meet him there. But it was the only day that they could meet God. Well, Jesus, listen, the Bible says that Jesus came. So you and me could go in and meet with God any time we need to. And so Jesus represents the veil. If we notice there, it says that the curtain, that uh, the room was protected by a curtain. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Well, that curtain, that veil, uh, it was there to keep people out. The veil's designed to keep men out of the presence of God. But the Bible says that Jesus came to let us in. Remember, you may not remember this, but over in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 27, around 50, 51, Jesus had just died on it. He says it is finished. He gives up the ghost. Do you remember the earthquake happened? Matthew records the earthquake. And, you know, the graves were open. And then there's this little story. It says, and the veil in the temple. The veil that separated the high priest and man from holy God. That veil was torn into two pieces. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. Symbolizing... That we get to God because God opened a way for us. Because of God's grace, we can get into the presence of God. It has nothing to do with man's goodness. If man could get in, it would have been torn from the bottom to the top. But it was torn from the top to the bottom for God to say, listen, by the grace of God, you and me can go into the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews, in fact, you need to know, if you don't know this verse, you need to know it. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse, um, well, let's start in verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now watch this. Let us then, or you could just say, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Friend, I want to tell you, listen, listen, listen. Because of what Jesus did, we can go into the presence of God any time we want. Anytime you want to get on your knees, or you don't have to get on your knees, we can go into the holy of holies. We can go behind the veil. We can go into the presence of the God of heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. I I don't know if any of you prayed this morning. I prayed some this morning, prayed some late last night. Just went right on in to the presence of the God of heaven. Didn't have to go through somebody else. 
Didn't have to wait to the day of Yom Kippur. Didn't have to wait and offer a bunch of sacrifices. Just got on my knees and said, God, I want to confess my sin. Can I come in? And on the merit of the blood of Jesus. And I went in the presence of God. Some of you have been there already today. Because Jesus opened the way to the presence of God. And so anytime we want. We can call out. Well, that's the sanctuary. I wish I had more time. I don't. I want to talk quickly about service because I know uh, we need to move along. But let's look at verse 6. Back in chapter 9, it says, When everything had been arranged like this, they put it all in there. The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. In other words, day after day after day, they'd go in. They'd trim the lamps. They would add all. On Sabbath day, they would change out the... Um, the showbread, they would offer these various sacrifices uh, all year long. But verse 7 tells us, notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, But only the high priest entered the inner room, that is the presence of God, the most holy place, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed. Did you know he had to offer some 22 sacrifices before he could go in? Behind the veil. 22 sacrifices to get his heart right before he could get into the presence of God. If he didn't do it, God would kill him. That's why they put a rope on his ankle and they put bells on his robe. So if he went in there unready, or that's not a word, unprepared, God would kill him because of the majesty and glory of God. And they'd have to drag him out. Because nobody could get into the presence of God. That, that's the deal. And so, and so he, now here's what's interesting, and I, and I wish I had, had more time to go over this. But here's what's so, so interesting about it. The high priest, they had a robe, they had this royal robe that they put on. And it was very majestic. And it was, I mean, it was, it was specifically designed and perfectly created. And he would put this robe on and he would do the, all these different sacrifices. He would perform those 22 sacrifices and he'd get himself ready. But when it came time for him to go into that holy place and sprinkle the blood of atonement onto the mercy seat, do you know what he would do? He would take off this robe of royalty and majesty and he would lay it aside. And he would go and he would put on a linen, a white linen ephod or a white linen garment with bells on it, just pure white. He would put that on and he would take the blood of the atonement to sacrifice for Israel's sin. Then he, that's when he would go in with the rope tied around his ankle and he would sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat to atone for the sins that the Israelites had committed in ignorance. And everyone would get completely quiet because they would want to know. They would be listening for those bells. Because it had been a year since their sins had been atoned for. It had been a year since their guilt had been symbolically taken away. And so they would get very, very quiet. And they would listen. And if they kept hearing the bells and he would hurry in and, and if, if he was, if he was cleansed and everything was good, he would hurry in, he would sprinkle on the offer and he would come out. Man, when he come out, they would rejoice. It would be jubilation because their sins had been paid for. Their sins had been atoned for. They couldn't, they couldn't just bow their head and say, God, I told a lie. Forgive me. If a man came up to the high priest and said, you know, I committed this sin in ignorance last Thursday. I, I don't know what happened. I just, I committed ignorance. Can you pray for me? And the high priest would say, we'll take care of it in 51 weeks. 
Come back on, the, on Yom Kippur. Come back on the Day of Atonement. We don't, we don't know how good we got it. I need to say that again. We don't know how good we got it. Every day, any day, we can get on our face before a holy God. And he'll wash us in the blood and cleanse us from our sins. You know what the priest would do? He'd go in, he'd offer that sacrifice of atonement. He'd come back out. You know what was waiting for him when he came out? Two goats. There was two goats. What they'd do is they'd cast, they had a little thing, they'd cast lot. One goat was for God and one goat was for the people. The goat that got the lot for God, they would tie that little thing, whatever it was, to his horn and then they would slaughter that goat. And it was sacrificed on the altar. And that was for the propitiation or the atonement of the people's sins. And the second goat, the one for the people, the priest would come out and symbolically he would place the sins of Israel on this goat, the Azazel, that's what they called it, the scapegoat. And they would take that goat out far out into the wilderness where he would never return. Now, here's what you need to understand about the picture. The picture of that is uh, that, that that whole sacrifice is that God takes away, uh, God propitiates or atones for our sin. When Jesus died for your sin, he pays the penalty or the price for forgiveness, ransom, redemption, whatever, however you choose to call it. But he pays the price for sin because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So that goat that was slaughtered, Pictures God's forgiveness that comes to you and me by the blood of Jesus. But the second goat that they put the sins on and take off in the wilderness, that picture is not only God taking away the penalty of our sin, but that symbolizes that God takes away the guilt of our sin. And we never have to face that guilt anymore. Now, they were always worried that the goat might show back up. It had the thing tied on. If it showed up, man, they were dead. they wouldn't have a clean conscience. And so they always lived in fear because this was a man-made thing. But no, no, no. When Jesus went in, when Jesus took his blood into the holy place and sprinkled it onto the mercy seat, then our forgiveness is forever. When Jesus went in and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, then the guilt of our sin can be taken away forever. And the Bible says, look in verse 15. We didn't read it, but it says when... Christ came as high priest to the good things that are already here. He went through the greater and more perfect. Oh, I'm in verse 11. Verse 15. For this reason is the meaning of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Listen, God takes the guilt away. The blood of Jesus takes away the guilt. Takes away the punishment. Has he taken yours away? Has Jesus taken away your guilt? Has he taken away? Are you free? By the blood of the Lamb. Have you been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? See, what a picture. The the high priest takes off the robe, puts on the plain white garment, And goes in and makes an offering. And when he comes out, finishes up with that sacrifice, the goats. 
And then he puts on the garments again. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, listen, Jesus laid aside his glory, stepped out of heaven, came down, put on the, a human body, lived a sinless life, died on, a, on an old rugged cross to pay for your sins and mine. God raised him from the dead. He ascended back into heaven and he's put his glory back on again. And he did all that for you and for me. Have you been washed in the blood? In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's body that was broken and the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. But listen, if you don't know him, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't know him, taking the juice or the bread doesn't matter. See, remember, there's one, there's one gate going into the outer court. Broad is the road, you said, that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Listen, Jesus is the way. Have you entered through Jesus? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Well, let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me just ask you, personally, are you born again? I'm not asking if you're Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or Catholic. or that. Have you been born again? Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Have you personally asked Him to forgive your sins? Have you repented? And turned away from your way of living and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes or no? I know some of you here this morning, you've never done that. You've never given your life to Jesus. Would you do it today? Would you pray this morning and invite Christ to come into your heart and save you? Would you ask Him? Would you ask Him to save you? Others here this morning, you you born again, you need a church, you need a home to call uh, your spiritual home, a place to call your spiritual home. You need to serve the Lord. You want to be in a church where they preach the word. They're not ashamed to tell the truth, even when it's uh, even when it's uh, convicting, even when it's uh, even controversial, even if it's narrow minded. But they will speak the truth and the word of God truly. And if if that's what you're looking for, this is your place because we're going to teach the word. Not based on what men think, but on what God says. Maybe you need to come this morning to be a part of our church. Or it might be that you're here this morning and you've been saved for a long time. But you you need to re-surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. You're not walking with Him. You know it. God knows it. And God's convicted you this morning. And in your heart, you know you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Would you come today? Would you come today and commit your life to Him and do it afresh? Would you do that? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd have your way in every heart this morning. God, I know we've been theological and I know we've been talking about this stuff, but the fact is, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission and men need to give their heart to Jesus. And God, I pray this morning for those here that need to be born again, that they would give their life to Christ today. God, help them. Give them courage. 
to stand up for Jesus. God, some have been saved this week and they need to come and let us know and, and let us share that story. Lord, some have committed their life anew and afresh to Christ this week. They've been recommitted or resurrendered and, and, and they need to come today and make it public. God, there's others who need to come. They need to come and join this church. They need to come be a part of this fellowship. They need to make the commitment. So God, I pray that you'd have your way in their heart this morning. God, may Jesus, Jesus, if you're king, if you're king, we ought to do what you say. God, help us to do what you say. Because Jesus is king. So God, have your way in every person's heart. And we'll give you the honor for it all now. And, and Father, I ask these things in the awesome, precious, wonderful, and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.